We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. And away we go, episode 144 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, September 14th, 2021, the day after the official crowning of Taylor Heineke as the new starting quarterback for the Washington football team. Boy, that didn't take long. One game into the season, already a quarterback change for the Washington football team. Of course, this change injury-induced. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going on the reserve injured list with what has been confirmed to be a right hip subluxation. Timetable for a return not yet determined. And so Taylor Heineke is set to become Washington's second starting quarterback in as many games this season. As remember, that next game is a coming. Uh, Washington versus the New York Giants at FedEx Field this Thursday night at 8.20. Ron Rivera on Monday had a lot to say during his day after the game Zoom press conference. We'll get into everything going on starting next segment with a conversation about Taylor Heineke, the pride of Old Dominion University. Tay-Tay, uh, whatever you want to call him, uh, I believe that he's going to play well on Thursday night, in large part because all the guy has done since signing with Washington is play well, despite what the Tay-Tay haters, hey, the taters, like to say. Uh, I think Taylor Heineke is going to shove it down the taters' throats come Thursday night against the G-Men. Also, plenty more fallout from Washington's season-opening 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. I have a saying during Washington football team season, Monday is for emotion, Tuesday is for analysis. And so we let the analysis truly take over. I'm going to talk pressure, the pressure that was allowed by Washington's offensive line in that loss to the Chargers, the pressure that was not produced by Washington's defensive line in that loss 
to the Chargers. The numbers really are staggering. Uh, I'm also going to talk playing time in the loss to the Chargers. Multiple notable items regarding playing time for Washington football team players on Sunday, including why didn't certain defensive stars play more? Uh, I have a segment for you on the biggest item in terms of in-game strategy from the loss to the Chargers. Washington's decision to punt in the fourth quarter. There's a question regarding that decision that we still don't seem to have the answer to. And I will get into the Nationals, who were nearly no hit on Monday night. A 3-0 loss to Sandy Alcantara in the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park. Uh, But the Nats were not no hit, and the Nats still have not been no hit since the franchise came to D.C. A remarkable achievement considering no hitters happen like crazy in Major League Baseball these days. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Got a lot of emails regarding the Washington football team off what happened on Sunday. Email from Matthew Price on the W to the F to the T, writes Matthew. For optimism going forward, I look at the fact that many playoff teams lose in week one. For instance, last year, the Colts lost to the eventual 1-15 Jaguars. The Browns got destroyed 38-6 by the Ravens. The Saints beat the eventual Super Bowl champion Bucks by two scores. I'll also consider the fact that the Chargers are a really talented team with a very good to elite quarterback in Herbert. The Chargers are not that far removed from their 12-4 season, which is the last time they were healthy. All very good points by Matthew and all points that are worth remembering. Uh, week one in the NFL is one of the most misleading things in all of sports. It's so much fun. Everyone overreacts to every game. And then you look back on week one a month later, and you realize how week one wasn't nearly as telling as so many people thought that week one was at the time. So excellent points by Matthew. Continues Matthew. The concerning part to me isn't the loss, but the manner in which we lost. I'd be okay if that 20 the Chargers scored was a true 20, meaning they had a couple of sustained drives but had some three and outs, maybe a less than 60% third down conversion rate, parentheses. Is that really too much to ask? Instead, that 20 was excruciatingly long drives and gifts from the refs that helped us out. It included poor tackling and breakdowns in coverage. If someone went into a coma in 2016 and woke up on Sunday, that person would have thought it was the same coaching staff. You'd have no idea it was Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio. Last note, while I may be biased about Heineke, since I'm an ODU alum myself, I really want the guy to work out as our quarterback. I hope he silences all the doubters this Thursday. Uh, I'm with you, man, and I believe that Heineke is going to play well on Thursday night. I do believe that. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the 2016 thing, I mentioned it on Monday's show, episode 143. If Joe Barry is still Washington's defensive coordinator. If Greg Minuski is still Washington's defensive coordinator, we are filleting the guy over these next few days. Now, we're giving Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio a benefit of the doubt here, and they deserve that benefit of the doubt, but that was not a good look. Washington's third down defense on Sunday. Washington's third down defense on Sunday was atrocious. Everybody knows it, okay? Now, there were some good things done by the defense on Sunday, and I talked about those things on Monday's show. Two big second-half takeaways. Very good red zone defense. You know, Washington held the Chargers in that game to a mere two for six inside the red zone. There's something to be said for that. You know, Washington's run defense after the Chargers' first offensive drive was very good. So there were things to like defensively. The problem is, the biggest thing not to like was a massive thing, 
was an embarrassing thing, the third down defense. Email from Josh on the television coverage of Washington's season opening loss to the Chargers. Writes Josh, how come the WFT game was not the local game on the Baltimore stations? The Ravens were not even playing. A friend of mine who lives in Howard County, uh, as Josh writes it, Hoko, uh, could not watch the game and the game was not on in Anne Arundel County for me. I went to the game, so it did not matter to me. Just curious if you might know why. Uh, I don't know why. I don't live in Hoko. Uh, I actually live in Moco, Montgomery County. So if anyone in Hoco or in Anne Arundel County has an answer for this, I'd love to hear it. Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is to that, but I know that you're not alone. I know others dealt with the same thing that you dealt with. And that perhaps is part of why we have this. The local Washington, D.C. area television rating for Washington's loss to the Chargers came out on Monday, came via John Alrand, Sports Business Insider, for Sports Business Journal, the rating a 15.4 on CBS. Again, this is the local DC area television rating, 15.4. That's down 7% from the rating for Washington's 2020 regular season opener that come from behind win over the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. That game did a 16.5. So here we are a year later. Washington, yeah, only went 7-9 last year, but did win the NFC East. We have all of this optimism these days, or so we think, with the Washington football team. I mean, I get that it's all relative, but, you know, there are a lot of good vibes with the team. At least there were (laughs) going into Sunday. And the television number was down 7%. Now, a few things. Maybe having fans at the game on Sunday, as opposed to having had no fans at the 2020 season opener, has something to do with the rating, too. I mean, if you're taking however many Washington fans were at FedEx Field at the game on Sunday, and, you know, who knows what that number is with all of the blue that was seen in the stands, but let's be conservative. Let's say 30,000, okay? 30,000 people were at that game on Sunday who otherwise would have been watching that game at home. Um, You know, maybe that has something to do with the television rating down 7%, you know, the game not being on in Hoco and Anne Arundel County, at least for some, uh, maybe that had something to do with the rating being down. But look, here's the bottom line. That's not a very good number, relatively speaking, okay? I mean, if you're the Washington football team, if you're Jason Wright, you wanted that number to be well into the teens. Uh, I don't think Washington realistically could have expected a 20, but, you know, you'd love to have seen something that was above the 16-5 that Washington did last season for week one. And that was not the case on Sunday. You know, that is not a good number, relatively speaking. And it's always important to say that phrase, relatively speaking, when you're talking television ratings for the Washington football team, because, you know, even with the decline in local Washington football team television ratings over the last decade, uh, Washington football team television ratings still blow away the television ratings for other area teams, okay? The Nationals, the Capitals, the Wizards, everybody else, okay? So for like all the conversation of this decline in interest for the Washington football team, it's all relative, dude, okay? It's all relative. A 15-4, okay? That's like what Nationals playoff games have done, a 15-4. In fact, that's better than what Nationals playoff games have done. Now, not necessarily like 2019 World Series, but prior to 2019, the Nationals would have killed to do a 15-4. That beats out Capitals playoff games. That beats out Wizards playoff games. So, you know, people go nuts over the decline in the interest in the Washington football team. And I'm always like, yeah, it is down. There is a decline in the local TV ratings for sure. But it still blows away what other teams in this area 
have done over the years. Uh, look, it's going to take time to get people who have checked out on the Washington football team to check back in. I mean, you have people who despise Dan Snyder and won't support the team as long as he owns the team. You have people who are sick of the team not being very good. You have people who are really upset about the name change. You have all kinds of things going on in terms of why some people have checked out on the team or just aren't as into the team as those people used to be. Me personally, I will never not watch this team. I will never not support this team. I will never not talk about, not think about, not dissect, not analyze, not wonder about this team. I know that that holds true for many of you, but that obviously does not hold true for everyone. What does hold true for everyone is that taking care of your lawn is work. And as we now are fully into football season and you want to spend your weekends watching football and relaxing and you work hard during the week, do you really want to keep up with what you need to do to have a good looking lawn? That's where Weedman comes in. Weedman cares for your lawn so you don't have to. And now is the perfect time to get on board with Weedman because Weedman is offering a great deal to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says it's going to do. And I know all of that sounds simple, and it is, but it's not nearly as common as it should be. Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Weedman does not cut corners. The best weed controls, state certified seed. Weedman's secret sauce is the fertilizer. All of Weedman's organic-based fertilizer applications feature 65% super slow-release nitrogen that feeds your roots slowly and effectively. Weedman, you see, has a mastery of the science behind a great lawn. Now, a beautiful spring lawn actually starts in the fall. And so, Weedman is offering something special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's 30% off the usual price for those services. That price is a steal, and that price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's what you do. Call 571-340-3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so that you get the special deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. Again, a 30% discount off the usual price for those services. That phone number again, 571 340 3400. Okay, you can hit pause right now and call. Again, the number 571 340 3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so that you get the special deal. I want you to get that deal. Uh, you can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. All right, so we have a quarterback change one game, one game into the Washington football team's 2021 regular season. Ron Rivera on Monday and his day after the game Zoom press conference confirming that Ryan Fitzpatrick 
in that season-opening 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon, did suffer a right hip subluxation. Severity not yet known. Fitzpatrick, per Ron, was to get a second opinion. But Ron said that Fitzpatrick would be going on the reserve injured list. A timetable for Fitzpatrick's return was not known. Here was Ron on Monday. Ryan did sublex it. We are going to uh, put him on IR. Uh, he will continue his... Uh with a couple of more visits with the doctors just to, to get another opinion. I don't know any much more than that. Uh, we will start Taylor this week. He will be backed up by Kyle. And uh, we, we brought in Kyle Shermer as a uh, practice squad player that we're going to try and get up to speed and uh, have him as an emergency, emergency guy for now. So that's where we are. Uh, as I said, I don't know any much, anything much more about the injury other than he did sublex it. Uh, you know, we're going to get a second opinion just to make sure on all the stuff that we have. And uh, we're going to put him on our IR and we're going to go from there. As we learn more, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So you heard Ron say that Ryan did sublex his right hip, not suplex his right hip, but sublex his right hip. Uh, Ron later in the presser got asked, what exactly sublexed means? Here's what Ron said. Uh, well, I didn't, uh, I didn't go to medical school, so I couldn't be able to explain. I really couldn't other than I know that it, 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 it had something to do with it, it moving in the joint. That, that's all I can tell you. I mean, like I said, I, I'm, I, I just asked for the bare minimum. So when I talk to you guys, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get misquoted. Uh, I just want to be careful with what I say. So uh, I was told it was sublexed. Um, you know, we will put him on IR and that he is you know, going to see an, uh, a couple other doctors for a second opinions just to make sure we did get it right. Yeah, Ron hates talking about injuries, certainly hates getting asked questions as if he's Dr. Oz. Now, Ron did make it clear that Washington is sticking with internal quarterback options for now. In fact, here was his response to the question of whether he planned to bring in any quarterbacks beyond Kyle Shermer, who Washington signed to its practice squad on Monday. No, as of now, no. We, we're, we're, we, you know, we got a short week. We're, we'll go through the week and we'll go from there. All right, so Ron did leave open the possibility of acquiring a quarterback beyond Shermer at some point, perhaps some point soon, but for now, no. As in, for this week, no, Washington is sticking with internal quarterback options. And so for now, any thought of Washington signing Cam Newton is off the table. Any thought of Washington bringing back RG3? is off the table and should never be on the table. Did you see Robert Griffin III, current college football analyst for ESPN, on Monday, on Twitter, shamelessly promoting himself to be signed by Washington? Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. I've got to hand it to RG3. He knows how to push himself. He knows how to promote himself. He knows how to get people talking about him. And, of course, people play right into his hands in talking about him, him putting out that tweet advocating for Washington to sign him got a lot of attention. And I get it. Me just talking about this right now is playing right into Robert's hands. Uh, let me make this crystal clear. I would not sign RG3. No way. No how. Washington bringing back RG3. No, thank you. Okay. For many reasons, principal among them, he's not a good quarterback. Okay. I'm not even really that concerned about like drama or anything like that. I'm just saying, okay, can this guy play the position? And the answer is no, he can't. All right. 
Washington bringing back RG3 hails to the null. In fact, as the great Steve Harvey would say, Washington bringing back RG3, oh hell no. Oh hell no. That's right. Thank you, Steve. What do you say, Steve? RG3 back to Washington? Oh hell no. Exactly, Steve. Thank you. Uh, no. Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen are much better options than RG3. Uh, Washington, though, did sign a quarterback to the practice squad on Monday. Like I said, Kyle Shermer. Uh, Shermer played at Vanderbilt 2015 through 2018. He was quite good over his final two seasons at Vandy. He was signed by the Kansas City Chiefs as an undrafted free agent in April 2019. Has also spent time with the Cincinnati Bengals, but he has never appeared in an NFL regular season game. Kyle Shermer, he is the son of Denver Broncos offensive coordinator Pat Shermer, who also has served as a head coach, uh, was a head coach of the New York Giants 2018 and 2019, was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns 2011 and 2012. And so here we are now, one game into Washington season, Ryan Fitzpatrick is hurt, and Taylor Heineke is the new QB1. I expected Heineke to play at some point this season. Little did we know that would be in week two of the season. Well, I guess technically week one, right? Because he relieved and injured Ryan Fitzpatrick in that loss to the Chargers at FedEx Field on Sunday. And of course, for Washington, week two comes quickly. Home to the New York Giants this Thursday night at 8.20. But I would be surprised, actually really surprised, if Heineke is bad on Thursday night. He has been good when he has played as a Washington quarterback. He makes plays every time he plays. He did it again in that loss to the Chargers. Heineke in that game, 11 of 15 for 122 yards. That's 8.13 yards per pass attempt. He had a touchdown pass versus no interceptions. He took no sacks. He had three carries for 17 yards. Right on Monday, on how he felt about Washington's offense in the loss to the Chargers with Heineke at quarterback. Well, I, th- I was obviously we were pleased. You know, we moved the ball well. Um, we made some things happen. You know, um, we moved the ball well early, too. Um, we just didn't put it in the end zone. But with Tyler Taylor, we got one in the end zone. I, I thought the throw that he made to uh, Logan was a, was a heck of a throw, heck of a heck of a play by uh, by Logan. And, and it's unfortunate. Um, you know, we had some other opportunities that we missed. Uh, we didn't convert a couple times. We had opportunity to, and of course, we can't turn the ball over. Um, but you know, it was it was good to see some of the things that happened out there. Yeah. So I've actually gotten some version of the following on Twitter from the anti Heineke crowd over the last few days. Yeah, but he never wins. <laughs> or yeah, let me know when he actually wins a game. You know, the idea being yeah. He plays well. Yeah, he looks good. But let me know when he actually wins. Uh, There may not be a worse take on WFT Twitter right now than that one. And that's saying something because there are always bad takes on Twitter on just about everything. But A, judging quarterbacks on wins is such a bad way of judging quarterbacks. I think most of you listening know that. I mean, Justin Herbert's record last regular season was six and nine. So if we judge Justin Herbert's 2020 season on his six and nine record, uh, we come to the conclusion that Justin Herbert was just not very good. I mean, he only won six out of 15 games. So how good can the guy be, right? We understand how moronic that is. B, Heineke has started one game for Washington. Like, it's one thing to get worked up about a quarterback's lack of wins when he has started a bunch of games for a team, but Heineke has started 
one game for Washington. He started the 31-23 loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last January in the wildcard round of the playoffs. That's his lone start as a Washington quarterback. And in case you haven't heard, he was excellent in that game. 26 of 44 for 306 yards, a touchdown and an interception. He took just two sacks. He had six carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. He led a Washington offense that went seven for 14 on third downs. He earned an overall grade for the game for Pro Football Focus of 92.0, highest single game grade for a Washington quarterback in nearly 14 years. He was efficient, He made plays, and he did what he did despite having all kinds of things working against him. He was facing a Todd Bowles-coordinated Bucs defense that finished the 2020 regular season fifth in the NFL in pass defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Heineke did what he did despite suffering an AC joint separation in his left shoulder on that spectacular third quarter, third and five eight-yard shotgun scramble touchdown run. Heineke did what he did despite Washington pass catchers being guilty of five drops, including four first-half drops. Uh, Heineke did what he did despite Washington's running game struggling big time in the game. Heineke had every excuse on the planet not to play well in that game, and yet he did play well in that game. And that game against the eventual Super Bowl champion Bucks last postseason, that is Heineke's only start as a Washington quarterback. So this notion of, uh, tell me when Heineke wins a game. (laughs) I mean, get out of here with that stuff. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah. I mean, every other time that we've seen Heineke has been in relief. And oh, by the way, he has done well in those relief appearances. Week 16 of last season, the 2013 loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field, which was the last stand of old Dwayne, right? The last Dwayne Haskins game for Washington, the debacle of a final game for Dwayne Haskins for Washington. Heineke relieved Haskins in that game and played pretty well, all things considered. 12-19 for 137 yards, and those numbers would have been better if not for a brutal drop by Cam Sims, and also if not for a very questionable touchdown negating holding penalty on Wes Schweitzer. Uh, Heineke did have a touchdown pass. He had no interceptions. He had three scrambles for 22 yards. He did take two sacks. So you had that game in terms of a relief appearance for Heineke with Washington, and you had this game this past Sunday against the Chargers as a relief appearance for Washington. That's it. I mean, Taylor Heineke has only played in three regular season slash postseason games for Washington. So this thing of, well, how come he hasn't won more games? Like, what do you want from the guys? Played in three games with just one start. I mean, heck, Washington just signed Heineke last December, all right? Washington last December 8th signed Heineke. Signed Heineke to the practice squad. Washington last December 19th signed Heineke from the practice squad to the active roster. And actually, Heineke was Washington's QB3 for the 2015 loss to the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field in week 15 of last season. Steven Montez was Washington's QB2 for that game. And then for the next game, that game against the Panthers in week 16, the roles flipped. Heineke was QB2, Montez was QB3. Heineke has a lot going for him. As you likely know, I'm a fan of Heineke. I'm a proponent of Heineke. I'm realistic about Heineke, but I'm not one of these people who just gives him like no shot of ever being anything in the NFL. I'm not a Heineke denier. There are a lot of Heineke deniers in the fan base and also in the media, and it just cracks me up because, again, all he does when he plays is make plays. Like, all he does when he plays is look good. But Heineke is obviously mobile. He is athletic. He has great feel in the pocket, especially regarding pressure. He has very good improvisational skills. He certainly seems to have that quick processing speed 
that most good quarterbacks have. In other words, he knows where to throw the football. He's decisive. A big part of that is that he's very familiar with and has a strong relationship with Scott Turner. And Heineke is a baller. He's competitive. He has a knack for making plays. He's creative. I mean, I'm not trying to say the guy's a Hall of Famer, but the guy has a lot going for him. That shovel pass to Terry McLaurin on Sunday was tremendous. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' early fourth quarter missed 51-yard field goal attempt that was wide left. The 10th snap of that drive, Heineke, a late third quarter, first and 20, 17-yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin on a shovel pass off scrambling up the A-gap. There aren't a ton of quarterbacks who make that play. Heineke made that play. Look, there is an energy, too, that Heineke brings to the field. In fact, take a listen to this. Ron Rivera on Monday on moving forward with Heineke as Washington's QB1. I think it'll be cool. Uh, I really do. I think our guys will rally around him. Um, it's, it's just one of those things that, that you know, some guys have an innate ability to, to, to create some some enthusiasm, some some excitement. And that's kind of a bit about Taylor because of the way he plays. You know, he plays a little bit like his hair's on fire. He plays a little bit, you know, like a gunslinger. Um, but I, I think, and I hopefully believe that he has, uh, he's matured a little bit. He understands, you know, that what he has to do and how he has to do it. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I am too. And I say that while feeling bad for Ryan Fitzpatrick and also while just being amazed at the continued instability for our team, the team currently known as the Washington football team at the quarterback position. Look, there is a concern with Taylor Heineke. We all know it. It is the durability. The guy has been hurt a bunch. Taylor Heineke has a significant injury history. It's pretty remarkable when you go through it item by item. In just his NFL career, okay, September 2016, the Minnesota Vikings placed Heineke on their reserve non-football injury list. September 2017, the Minnesota Vikings waived Heineke with an injury settlement. December 2017, Heineke made his NFL regular season debut in a Week 16 relief outing for the Houston Texans, suffered a concussion. December 2018, Heineke made his first NFL regular season start in Week 16 and suffered a season-ending left elbow injury. This past January, Heineke Wright started and played great in Washington's loss to the Bucs at FedEx Field in the wild card game, but he suffered that AC joint separation in his left shoulder on the tremendous touchdown run. And then this past June, we learned that Heineke, during an OTA practice, caught an elbow above his left eye during an installation period, giving him a cut that required seven stitches and chipping a tooth. Taylor Heineke has been like a magnet for injuries. He becomes Washington's QB1 beginning with week two of this season. Raise your hand if you would expect Heineke to start each of Washington's final 16 games this regular season. That's what I thought. Uh, Heineke during the offseason did bulk up. We talked about that, right? It's said to have put on 15 pounds. Uh, Heineke during the offseason talked about needing to be better at avoiding injury, not taking unnecessary risks. How did Heineke do in that regard in the loss to the Chargers? Ron Rivera on Monday. I thought he handled him very well. You know, I really did. I, I, I thought, again, he made some good decisions. He, he, he ran when he was supposed to run. And a couple times, I think, where he, was, he thought about turning up, uh, he didn't and went ahead and went out of bounds. Uh, there was one when he did step up through the middle and, uh, and did get uh, a few yards and, and took a little bit of a shot. But uh, 
again, I, I think he's, he's understands, you know, that uh, he has, you know, he's got to be more responsible with himself. Um, I think he made some good, quick decisions, got the ball out quickly, uh, got the ball out uh, in a very timely manner when he, when he did throw it downfield. So you can see that, you know, all these things that, that he talked about, he's kind of put together, which is a real positive. And hopefully that continues to be the case. And Taylor Heineke has got to keep himself healthy because he's not going to have an NFL career if he can't stay healthy, regardless of how impressive he is when he plays, regardless of how many plays he makes when he plays. But we can worry about the rest of the season later. The turnaround for this game against the Giants at FedEx Field is ultra quick. Heck, Washington put out an injury report on Monday. The team didn't actually practice, but put out an estimation of what would have happened had the team practiced. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who had not yet been officially placed on the reserve injured list, was listed as having not practiced. No surprise there. Uh, What stood out was this. Antonio Gibson was on the injury report for Monday. He was listed as limited due to a shoulder. Uh, Gibson was the only other player on Washington's injury report, but it turns out that Antonio Gibson, who had a very mixed game in that loss of the Chargers, did suffer some sort of a shoulder issue. Uh, I did think that this was notable from Ron on Monday regarding this Giants game. Ron, on what differences there will be in the offense with Heineke at quarterback as compared to Fitzpatrick? Uh, really, is that, uh, is that uh, Taylor's going to start? And then it'll be about the decisions that Taylor makes when he's got the ball in his hands. I mean, that's the truth that matters. Um, just so you know, what we do offensively, both those guys have the ability to do. And there was no, when Taylor was in, we called something different. You know, we call the same plays for both those guys. So there really isn't any difference in the way that, you know, the the plays are being called by Scott. Yeah, that has been a consistent thing with Ron. Washington has its offense and the offense is the offense. Now, I would hope that there are modifications made to the offense to make it as best suited for the quarterback as possible. Washington offensively obviously needs to be better, but understand something about Sunday. On a per-play basis, Washington was actually about the same as the Chargers. The Chargers averaged 5.4 yards per play. Washington averaged 5.3 yards per play. The difference was the number of plays. The Chargers ran 78 total offensive plays. Washington ran just 49 total offensive plays. And of course, that had to do with the Chargers going 14 for 18 on third downs. If you don't include the Justin Herbert kneel down on a third and goal at the nine on the final snap of the game, Washington only went three for 10 on third downs. I'm not trying to say that Washington's offense on Sunday was as good as the Chargers offense was on Sunday. What I am saying is is that Washington wasn't some like total lost cause offensively on Sunday. And Taylor Heineke was a big reason for why. Well, if you've been wronged and you feel like getting justice is a lost cause, stop feeling that way and contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace wants to hear from you. Do you need a lawyer? Do you think that you might need a lawyer? If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles 
complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through, big Washington football team fans. I've known the Naces for more than 25 years. These are good people. These are smart people. And these are successful people. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that wins. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. You see, not all law firms focusing on medical malpractice, birth injuries, product liability, and other personal injury matters have trial experience. In fact, many law firms have no courtroom experience at all and look to settle such cases without ever presenting them to a jury. A client has limited options for reasonable settlement if he or she is represented by an attorney with limited trial experience. Paulson and Nace is like the Bill Belichick of D.C. area law firms. Founding partner Barry Nace has tried more medical malpractice cases to verdict in Washington, D.C. than any other plaintiff's attorney. Yeah, like I said, Belichick. If you're looking for a lawyer, ask yourself this. Do you want an attorney who talks about unverified successful cases, or do you want a law firm that has fought the good fight for decades? That is Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-851-9899. That's 202-851-9899. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sends you. Make sure that you say, hey, I heard about you guys on the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what I got going on. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-851-9899. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right, much more on the Washington football team right now off Ron Rivera's day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday. Regardless of who Washington's starting quarterback is, the pass protection has to be better than what we saw in the season opening 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field on Sunday. Washington's run blocking in the loss to the Chargers was good. Antonio Gibson finished with 20 carries for 90 yards, four and a half yards per carry. But Washington's pass blocking in the loss to the Chargers was not good enough. And the guy who epitomized this is Samuel Cosme. The play involving Cosme that sticks with you the most is the snap Right before Dustin Hopkins' early second quarter 43-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 7-6. Edge rusher Joey Bosa beating Samuel Cosme for a third and 11 sack strip of Ryan Fitzpatrick that Logan Thomas recovered. Cosme in this game for Pro Football Focus had a run blocking grade of 85.8. That's really good. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100, an 85.8 run blocking grade for Cosme. But Cosme per PFF in this game had a pass blocking grade of 15.0. Again, scale of 0 to 100, 15, not very good. And you don't need the PFF grade to determine that Samuel Cosme had issues in this game. Uh, You also don't need some of the advanced stats that are out there to tell you that Joey Bosa had a good game against Washington on Sunday. The Washington offensive line allowed Joey Bosa to wreak havoc for way too much of this game. In fact, Joey Bosa in this game finished with a pass rush win rate for pro football focus of 41.7% and per the NFL's next-gen stats of 60% 
Pick which one you want to go by, but each one is very high by the standards of the outlet that computed the rate. Now, Joey Bosa is a really good edge rusher. He is among the best edge rushers in the NFL. But Washington did not do a very good job against Joey Bosa on Sunday. And to be fair to Samuel Cosme, it wasn't just Cosme who had issues on Sunday. Remember, Washington has two new starting offensive tackles this season. We, of course, have the play on which Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt. Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter three and out. First snap of that drive, Charles Leno Jr., torched by edge rusher Uchenna Nwosu, who blasted Fitzpatrick on what was officially a first and 10 shotgunning completion intended for J.D. McKissick. This was the play on which Fitzpatrick suffered the right hip subluxation. Rod Rivera, at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday on how Washington's two new starting offensive tackles did in the loss to the Chargers. Well, I thought they had their moments. I really did. There's some really good things. You know, uh, Sam did some good things. He was physically, he was stout at the point. You, you really saw him for the most part battle. Um, you know, they, they, they put one of the premier pass rushers on him. Uh, I thought he did some really good things. Um, you know, uh, Osa did some good things too against him. I mean, it was, it was a good baptism under fire for the young guy. I thought Charles was, was pretty good, was pretty stout um, in terms of his pass protection. Uh, there are some things that he can be better at, some things that he will work at and get better. So I, I feel good about, you know, what we got from the two of them. Um, but I, I do believe we will be better. And Washington's pass blocking clearly needs to be better. So we, in the loss to the Chargers, had the problem of Washington allowing too much pressure. We also, in the loss to the Chargers, had the problem of Washington not generating enough pressure. In case you haven't heard, uh, Washington's third down defense in this game was putrid. Uh, Washington allowed the Chargers to go 14 for 18 on third downs prior to Justin Herbert's kneel down on a third and goal at the nine on the final snap of the game. But a secondary issue for Washington, and this issue played into the Chargers' success on third downs, was lack of pressure. Washington's vaunted defensive line got handled by the Chargers' revamped offensive line. And that was even with right tackle Brian Balaga leaving the game due to injury and playing on just 56% of the Chargers' offensive snaps. How about this? Washington's pressure rate for the game, for Pro Football Focus, was just 12%. That was the lowest by any team in the NFL in Week 1 as of games through Sunday. A 12% pressure rate. That's not good. Ron Rivera on Monday on the defensive line, not generating more pressure on Justin Herbert. Well, I think a lot of it had to do with some inconsistent play. Um, some things that happened, unfortunately, um, you know, when, when, when you got a guy rushing from one area and, and somebody should be inside, uh, you know, he, he, he makes a move outside. You got a couple of guys rushing from the same areas. And quite honestly, a couple of times they got the ball out quickly. They, they chipped their way out a couple of times. They max protected a couple of times, uh, which did slow us down. And, and, and that's unfortunate because, again, it's one of those things that, you know, we, we, we've got to be better to give ourselves an opportunity. You know, the hard part is to, 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 to give up as many yards as we did, but yet to only give up, you know, the points that we did. Um, we had a chance to win. And, and that's what it comes down to at the end of the game. We had a chance to win. Yeah, I mean, Washington, at the very least, had a chance to get a stop, had multiple chances to get stops, and could not get off the field on defense because Washington could not generate a stop on a third down. 
That Chargers ninth offensive drive ended up being the final drive of the game, and it was one third down conversion after another, and some of these third downs make you want to scream as a Washington football team fan. Fourth snap of the drive, Justin Herbert, a third and 16, 17-yard shotgun completion to receiver Keenan Allen, who has opened up the seam. Seventh snap of the drive, Herbert, a third and three, 19-yard shotgun completion to receiver K.J. Hill Jr., who has opened up the seam. Tenth snap of the drive and the snap right before the fourth quarter, two-minute warning, Herbert, a third and seven, 20-yard shotgun completion to receiver Mike Williams, who beat Benjamin St. Juice. That was some play by Justin Herbert. Thirteenth snap of the drive and the final true play of the game, Herbert, third and four, nine-yard shotgun completion to receiver Keenan Allen to ice the game. Now, with this issue of the pass rush, we have talked about this. In today's NFL, with quarterbacks getting rid of football so quickly, with the quick game becoming more prevalent, pressuring quarterbacks is maybe the hardest that pressuring quarterbacks has ever been. The best pass rushes in the NFL only generate pressure like 30% of the time. Uh, This is a big part of why in football analytics now, the thinking is that pass coverage matters more than pass rush. All of that said, you got to do better than a 12% pressure rate. 12% is unacceptable. Just like 14 for 18 on third downs is unacceptable. And I'll tell you what else is unacceptable. Guys being out of position. The most disturbing thing to emerge in the immediate aftermath of Washington's loss to the Chargers, to me anyway, was something that Ron Rivera said during his postgame press conference on Sunday. Quote, we look at some of the things on the tablets and you can see we've got guys not where they're supposed to be defensively, end quote. What is that about? Because that's the kind of thing that used to happen under Greg Minuski, and we would crush Greg Minuski. That kind of thing, that kind of clown show, that kind of amateur hour stuff, that was supposed to have gone bye-bye with the arrivals of Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio running Washington's defense. Ron on Monday on whether guys not being where they were supposed to be on defense was more about missed assignments, i.e. not knowing where to be, or guys just freelancing, i.e. knowing where to be, but just doing otherwise. It's a little bit of that. I mean, we saw some missed assignments. We saw guys that weren't in the gaps that they should be, and we saw guys jumping gaps, you know. Um, and again, it, it's one of these things. these things that, you know, when, when you play this style of defense, there's an accountability to it. Okay, everybody's responsible for a specific gap. You have to be in your gap. You got to trust that the guy next to you is going to be where he's supposed to be. You got to, you've got to do these things uh, in order for this 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 team defense to be successful. And that's something that Ron stresses a lot. You know, one of his favorite sayings is, "We need eleven guys trying to do one thing at a time, not one guy trying to do eleven things." I like that saying. I tell you something that I found a bit troubling though was how much rotating and substituting was going on with Washington's defense. I mean, I don't know if that was the game plan or if that was guys being fatigued due to it being hot or that was guys being out of shape. I mean, I'm all for keeping people fresh, but I thought it was a little too much in terms of the diversity of players we saw in this game defensively for Washington. Like, why did Jonathan Allen play on just 58%? of Washington's defensive snaps in the loss to the Chargers. Jonathan Allen in the 2020 regular season played on 77.42% 
of Washington's defensive snaps, and he only played on 58% of Washington's defensive snaps on Sunday. Now, you could say, well, that high percentage in 2020 was due in part to Matt Ioannidis missing a good chunk of the season due to injury. Okay, but why did Allen's playing time dip down by almost 20 full percentage points? You know, Allen just got a big money contract extension, and he's only out there on 58% of Washington's defensive snaps on Sunday. Uh, what about Montez Sweat? I'd like to see more of Montez Sweat. He only played on 65% of Washington's defensive snaps on Sunday. Now, to be fair, that is in line with his playtime percentage from last regular season, 66.32%. But still, why not more of Montez Sweat? Chase Young on Sunday played on 86% of Washington's defensive snaps. That's great. Uh, Why didn't Sweat do that? Why can't Sweat play as much as Chase Young? I mean, they're both exceptional athletes. Uh, Why can't Montez be out there as much as Chase? Why did we have to see uh, so much of James Smith-Williams? You know, all due respect to James Smith-Williams. Or is it James Williams-Smith? Very confident what we've seen from from James Williams-Smith. Yes, Ron, it gets confusing. I understand. But uh, James Smith-Williams on Sunday played on 37% of Washington's defensive snaps. That's a lot. Does he need to be out there on 37% of Washington's defensive snaps? Can we get maybe more of Montez Sweat and a little bit less of James Smith-Williams? Casey Tuhill played on 11% of Washington's defensive snaps. You know, the two top backup edge rushers for Washington, James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill, played a decent amount on Sunday. I want to see as much of Chase Young and Montez Sweat as possible. I want to see as much of Jonathan Allen as possible. Give me Allen, Deron Payne, and Matt Ioannidis as often as you can. And I get it. Not everyone can play on every snap. I understand that. But I want to see the likes of especially Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat play more. Maybe they got banged up, but neither guy was on Washington's injury report on Monday. While we're talking playing time in the loss to the Chargers, a few other things that stood out to me in examining the playtime percentages. So with the linebackers, Cole Holcomb played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. In fact, Holcomb was the only player on the Washington football team who played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps in the loss to the Chargers. Number two in terms of Washington linebackers in playing time on Sunday was John Bostic. He played on 84% of Washington's defensive snaps. Jamin Davis played on 56% of Washington's defensive snaps. So as we suspected might be the case, Holcomb and Bostic played a lot more than Jamin Davis. Jamin Davis is not there yet as the three-down linebacker he was drafted to be. Kalik Hudson did not play on any of Washington's defensive snaps. At corner, Kendall Fuller led all Washington corners in playing time, was out there on 94% of Washington's defensive snaps. William Jackson the third played on 85% of Washington defensive snaps. Would not mind seeing more of William Jackson the third. You know, Ronald Darby played a ton last season. To me, there's no reason why WJ3 can't be out there on 90 plus percent of Washington's defensive snaps. We saw a lot of Benjamin St. Juice. We figured that would be the case. He played on 58% of Washington's defensive snaps. Torrey McTire played on 11% of Washington's defensive snaps. Troy Apke did not play on any of Washington's defensive snaps. Uh, St. Juice, as you likely know by now, got picked on 
in this game. I talked about that a few minutes ago. I talked about that on Monday's installment of the podcast, episode 143. Ron Rivera on Monday on St. Juice's performance in the loss to the Chargers. Well, I will say this. Some of the things that they did, you know, was, was going to be tough on any, anything you did. Um, you know, they threw a couple of back shoulders. That, that's really all about the timing of it all. Um, you know, Benjamin was in good position for the most part, and then the ball got thrown behind him. I mean, that's a very veteran play um, by the quarterback and by the receiver. you got to give him credit. So in that case, you're not going to be able to give him a lot of help. Um, and some of the other things, yeah, we could have probably rolled the defense a little bit different. But, again, that's understanding now, knowing what they do. It's something that you can game plan a little bit more, understanding uh, how they approach things, how they attack things. It's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, got to give them credit. Like I said early on, they did something, and that was they didn't play anybody. They didn't show their hand. And, uh, you know, now knowing uh, you can easily, you know, do some other things. But that's hindsight. You know, that's now that's 2020. Yeah, I hate to correct Ron on that, but I do believe that the saying is that hindsight is 50-50. At least that's what Steve Spurrier said as Washington head coach years ago. Yeah, hindsight's always 50-50. Yeah, hindsight is 50-50. Thank you, ball coach. Interesting playing time distribution for Washington safeties and the loss to the Chargers. So it turns out that Bobby McCain ended up leading all Washington safeties in playing time. He played on 85% of Washington's defensive snaps. Landon Collins was number two, 80% of Washington's defensive snaps. Cameron Curl was number three, but he played on just 46% of Washington's defensive snaps. DeShazer Everett did not play on any of Washington's defensive snaps. But um, interesting, notable that the guy who was Washington's best safety last season, Cameron Carolla, ended up playing just the third most snaps among Washington safeties in this game on Sunday. And Curl did start the game. Washington began the game in nickel. And so the five defensive backs in nickel were Kendall Fuller, William Jackson III, Bobby McCain, Landon Collins, and Cameron Curl. But Curl, like I said, ended up only playing on 46% of Washington's defensive snaps. And note what I said there, Washington began the game in nickel. The three corners were Fuller, Jackson, and McCain. Remember, Bobby McCain can play both free safety and nickel corner. And so Benjamin St. Juice was not on the field to begin the game in nickel, even though that's what a lot of people presume, that when Washington would be in nickel this season, the three corners would be Fuller, Jackson, and St. Juice. Uh, at least to begin the game, the three corners in nickel were Fuller, Jackson, and Bobby McCain. And then on offense, how about this? Deami Brown played on 93% of Washington's offensive snaps. That's obviously a sky-high percentage, even when you factor in the absence of Curtis Samuel. But Cam Sims played on just two offensive snaps the entire game. Cam Sims, who Ron Rivera has talked up quite a bit over these last few weeks, just two offensive snaps on Sunday. He had one reception for 17 yards on one target. Uh, Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' early fourth quarter missed 51-yard field goal attempt. That was wide left. The second snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke, a third quarter, second and four, 17-yard shotgun play action completion to Cam Sims, despite Heineke taking a shot from edge rusher Joey Bosa. But Cam, two offensive snaps the entire game, and Diami 
93% of Washington's offensive snaps. I get that they're two different receivers, but man, I mean, that's a really high number for Diami and obviously for Cam, a very low number. Uh, Diami had one reception for minus two yards on four targets, but he did draw a big pass interference penalty. Washington's third offensive drive, a seven-play, 46-yard drive, resulted in Dustin Hopkins' early second quarter, 43-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 7-6. Fourth snap of the drive in the first snap of the second quarter, Diami drawing a first and 10, 35-yard pass interference penalty on corner Asante Samuel Jr. Ron Rivera on Monday on Diami Brown. Well, his speed showed up. I mean, that's how we got the, the 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 big pass interference. I mean, he was running by the guy and and just you know he just grabbed him. Um, and I I think that's one thing that you know knowing what he can do and how he can do it is going to help us going forward. It's, it's kind of sent a little bit of a message, especially the fact that Fitz laid one out there. You know, people now know we are going to throw it deep. Um, you know that that was really good to see. Um, you know, we had a chance for a little bit of a bubble uh, on the outside, and, and fortunately, uh, you know, I got to give credit to to the plant drive that their uh, their defender made. Um, you know, because if if he doesn't get the army down, the army's going to turn that into a big play. So, just knowing that you've got some quickness, speed out there is is really going to help us, and it was good to see. I mean, he's got a ways to go. You know, and quite honestly, I think our young guys played young a little bit yesterday. Interesting to hear Ron say that. Quote: Quite honestly. I think our young guys played young a little bit yesterday, end quote. Washington has a number of rookies playing major roles this season, and those guys had mixed games on Sunday. You think about Jamin Davis, you think about Samuel Cosme, you think about Benjamin St. Juice, you think about Diami Brown. They'll be better, but each had issues on Sunday. The biggest strategic question for Washington in the loss to the Chargers. I'll get to that question after this. All right. Well, Washington football team season has finally arrived and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. We're all excited to watch the WFT this season. Whether you're looking to watch Young, Sweat, and the defense battle Mahomes and the Chiefs or Brady and the Bucks at home or wanting to travel with McLaurin and the guys to watch them play at Rodgers and the Pack or at Carr and the Raiders or you want to hit up the division games, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. So here's what you do. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now and use the promo code Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com slash Galdi and use the promo code Galdi. TickPick.com slash Galdi and make sure that you use the promo code Galdi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right. Well, one of the things that we enjoy discussing on this podcast when it comes to the Washington football team, the Nationals, and really all of our teams, is strategy. Strategery. Yes, strategery. And so I wanted to spend a few minutes on the biggest item of strategery from Washington's season opening 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field on Sunday. The fourth quarter punt. Washington punted on a fourth and 12 at the Chargers 45 with less than seven minutes left in the fourth quarter while trailing by four at 2016. And Washington never got the ball back. Ron Rivera's decision to punt as opposed to go for it was scrutinized after the game. So a few things. The initial down and distance were fourth and seven at the Chargers 40. Then Troy Apke, who was kept on Washington's 53-man roster for his special teams work, committed a fourth and seven five-yard false start penalty as Washington was in the punt formation. Now, what was unclear was whether Apke committed the penalty on purpose so as to give Tressway more room with which to punt, or Apke committed the penalty by accident. There's a big difference there, and I have not heard a lot of conversation about this. That Apke false start penalty, was that on purpose? Was that strategic? Or was that a screw-up? by Mr. Special Teams, the Special Teams demon, the Special Teams ace, Troy Apke. If the latter is the case, then clearly Apke, aka Trap, deserves to be crushed for that penalty. But if the former is the case, if he did that on purpose, if he was instructed to do that, 
Well, then that's a different conversation. But I think that's a key part of this entire discussion that Troy Apke, fourth and seven, five yard full start penalty, was that done on purpose or not? So we need to get complete clarity on that because that obviously changed things, right? That made it fourth and 12. And at that point, you're definitely punting if you weren't definitely punting already. What ended up making things even worse with all this was that the long snapper, the cheese man, Cameron Cheeseman committed a 10-yard holding penalty on that eventual 4th and 12 Tressway punt, which was a 37-yard punt that was fair caught at the Chargers 8. So you tack on the 10 penalty yards, the Chargers wound up with a 1st and 10 at their 18. So when all of this started, Washington had the 4th and 7 at the Chargers 40. When all of this ended, the Chargers had the 1st and 10 at their 18. So the net result of everything was 22 yards of field position gained for Washington as opposed to going for it on the 4th and 7 at the Chargers 40. Knowing what we now know, clearly Washington should have gone for it on the 4th and 7. But I'll say what I said on Monday's show, episode 143. It was not unreasonable to punt, especially when you consider what ended up happening on that ensuing Chargers offensive drive. Washington had the Chargers on a third and 16 at their 12th, okay? I mean, you were in prime position to get the ball back, and then you gave up that third down conversion and three more on the drive as Washington's third down defense in the game, in case you haven't heard, was awful. But the decision was actually on the doorstep of working until the decision ended up not working thanks to that Washington third down defense. But it's a fascinating predicament to go back and look through because you have these two special teams penalties and the second one obviously was not done on purpose, the 10-yard holding penalty on the cheese man. But the first one remains in question. Troy Apke, trap, did he do that on purpose or didn't he? And I think that's a big part of when we're trying to figure out, okay, what exactly was going on here? But when it comes to going forward on fourth down in general, Uh, Football analytics for years have dictated that teams should be going for it far more than teams do go for it on fourth downs. But a lot of that has to do with, say, like fourth and five and shorter. You know, once you get into even fourth and seven, that does become a different conversation. Now, context is always key. In this context, it's a four-point game, fourth quarter, less than seven minutes left. You have the ball on the opponent's 40. You can certainly make the case, hey, fourth and seven at the 40. You know, Taylor Heineke has played a good game here. Go ahead and go for it. It's not unreasonable. This is not a clear-cut answer. You know, whatever your answer is to this question, this is not a slam dunk either way in terms of, oh my God, you have to go for it, or oh my God, you have to punt. But yeah, obviously things did not end up playing out in a favorable way for the Washington football team with that decision to punt in the fourth quarter. Strategery. Exactly. Well, one of the more remarkable things about the Nationals is that they have not been no hit since the franchise came to D.C. prior to the start of the 2005 season. Many things have happened with the Nats over the last 17 seasons. Heck, many things have happened this season, but in a time at which we have seen so many no-hitters across Major League Baseball, the Nats have avoided getting got. Well, the Nats flirted with getting got on Monday night. The Nats ended up not getting got, but the Nats did end up being shut out. A 3-0 loss 
to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park in game one of a three-game series and a six-game homestand. That's now 59-85 and on the season. Yes, 26 games below 500. Marlins starter Sandy Alcantara, eight scoreless innings, seven strikeouts, one hit, no walks. He is a good pitcher. He entered the game with an ERA plus of 128 over 29 starts this season. 100 is a league average ERA plus. 128 is a very good ERA plus. Uh, Alcantara was masterful on Monday night. He humbled a Nats offense that has been doing quite well. And he took a no-hit bid deep into the seventh inning, but then came Josh Bell. Bell in the bottom of the seventh, a two-out first pitch single off the right field wall as we had the rare single off the wall to end Alcantara's bid for a no-hitter. And here's what is so fascinating to me about the Nationals when it comes to no-hitters. The Nats now have played 2,632 regular season games since coming to D.C. without being no-hit. 2,000. 632. If that number sounds familiar, it should. 2,632. 2,632. That is the length of Cal Ripken Jr.'s Ironman streak, his major league record for consecutive regular season games played. That's how long the Nationals have gone as a Washington, D.C. franchise without being no hit. The length of Cal Ripken Jr.'s Ironman streak And the thing is, you've had plenty of bad Nationals teams since the Nats came to D.C., right? I mean, I think specifically about 2006 through 2010. Even with good Nationals teams, you have had this penchant for prolonged slumps. We sure have seen those over the years. And you have the Nationals playing in an era in which there are just a lot of no-hitters. Since the start of the 2005 season, i.e., since the Nats came to D.C., there have been 59 regular season no-hitters. And yet, the Nats have avoided getting got. That's something else that the Nats have had that streak going. And the streak continues thanks to that Josh Bell single off the right field wall with two outs in the bottom of the seventh inning on Monday night. Uh, As for Alcantara's bid for a perfect game on Monday night, that bid ended in the bottom of the sixth inning. Kbert Ruiz broke up Sandy Alcantara's bid for a perfect game by reaching base via error to begin the bottom of the sixth inning as a Ruiz hard hit grounder resulted in him reaching first base via a fielding error by Marlins second baseman Jazz Chisholm. Now, this was a tricky play to score. It was one of those borderline plays that you could argue was a hit, okay? Like I said, Ruiz hit the ball hard, but the play ended up going down as an error And so while the perfect game went bye-bye, the no-hit bid did not go bye-bye. By the way, good for Ruiz for being back out there on Monday night. Your national starting catcher, uh, Ruiz, had not played since getting hit on the face, but that just happened on Saturday night. Uh, K-Bert Ruiz in that 10-7 loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates on Saturday night in the top of the six was hit on the face by a pitch from Pirates reliever Kyle Keller for a leadoff hit by pitch. Ruiz left the game and was pinch run for, but he ended up passing concussion tests and uh, seemingly is just fine. I mean, like I said, he was back out there on Monday night, although he did in the top of the first inning take a foul ball off his face mask and the face mask went flying. I mean, what are the odds, right? You're coming back from getting hit on the face (laughs) and then in the top of the first, 
you take a foul ball off your face mask as a catcher. Uh, these catchers take a beating. And I tell you, if nothing else, we can say that Cabo Ruiz is tough, okay? Because he, he almost didn't come out of that game on Saturday night. And now he's back out there playing just two nights later. Uh, but yeah, Nats get blanked in this game, 3-0 the final. Nats finished the game with just two hits and no walks. The other hit was a Ryan Zimmerman leadoff pinch single in the bottom of the ninth inning on an 0-2 pitch. A humbling night for the Nats offense. You know, the Nats entered games on Monday, number three in the National League and number nine in the majors in team-weighted runs created plus at 101. Again, 100 is league average. The Nats have been one of the better hitting teams in the majors this season. I feel like the Nats have not gotten enough credit for that, and yet the Nats got silenced on Monday night. So Marlins starter Sandy Alcantara was outstanding on Monday night, but the Nats starting pitcher was pretty good too. My guy Paolo Espino had another good outing for the Nationals. This is now three good starts over his last four. Espino in this game, one run in six innings. He had six strikeouts versus three walks, one of which was intentional. He gave up six hits, a double, and five singles. He threw 62 strikes versus 29 balls on 91 pitches. Uh, Paolo allowed a run in the top of the first on a one-out single by Jazz Chisholm, a stolen base by Chisholm, a one-out seven-pitch walk of Brian De La Cruz, and a one-out RBI single by Jesus Sanchez. Paolo tosses scoreless top of the second despite giving up a two-out single to Isan Diaz on an 0-2 pitch. Paolo tosses scoreless top of the fourth despite loading the bases with two outs as he gave up a two-out double to Lewin Diaz, issued a two-out six-pitch walk of Alex Jackson and issued a two-out intentional walk of Isan Diaz. So Paolo did put some guys on base, but he ultimately was able to prevent runs. Again, one run in six innings and six strikeouts for Paolo. You know, Paolo has piled up some strikeouts here lately. His last outing did not go well, an 8-5 loss at the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday night, five runs in five innings. But he, in that game, did have seven strikeouts. And you look at his two starts prior to that start at the Braves. So the 7-6 loss to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park on September 2nd, two runs in five and a third innings, five strikeouts versus one walk. The 2-1 win at the New York Mets on August 27th, Paolo, one run in five innings, seven strikeouts versus no walks. He had been struggling prior to this recent stretch of three good starts at a four. Uh, Paolo, prior to this stretch over his previous 10 games, including nine starts, had an ERA of 630. And the successful Paolo Espino of the first few months of the season seemingly had gone bye-bye. But that Paolo has largely been back here over these last few weeks now. And here's the bottom line. Paolo Espino, a 10th round draft pick of the Cleveland Indians in the 2006 MLB draft, a guy who prior to this season had barely pitched at the major league level, a guy who was never supposed to pitch for the Nats at the major league level this season. That guy now, 32 games this season, including 16 starts, 97 innings, a 418 ERA. No, that's not stellar, but you know what? All things considered, that's pretty good. And as national starting pitchers go this season, a season in which the likes of Patrick Corbin and Eric Fetty each has an ERA over five, a season in which the since-traded away John Lester had an ERA over five, uh, Paolo having an ERA of 418 over 97 innings, you take that and you run with it if you're Mike Rizzo. Uh, for the Nats' bullpen in this 3-0 loss to the Marlins at Nationals Park on Monday night, uh, as is usually the case with the Nats' pen these days, some good and some not so good. So the good was Sam Clay, perfect top of the seventh. The good was Austin Voth, 
tossed a perfect top of the eighth. The bad was Patrick Murphy. He gave up two runs in the top of the ninth, which he began by giving up three consecutive hits. A leadoff single by Lewis Brinson on an 0-2 pitch. A first pitch double by Lewin Diaz and a two-run double by Alex Jackson for a 3-0 Marlins lead. Uh, Murphy's last outing came on Friday night when the Nats bullpen blew it in that 4-3 walk-off loss at the Pirates. Murphy in that game, uh, he's brought on to get the save. Uh, This was his first career regular season save opportunity at the major league level, and he just was a complete wreck. Bottom of the ninth inning, Nats nursing a 3-2 lead. He ultimately gets charged with two runs in a third of an inning. He gave up a leadoff single on an 0-2 pitch. He issued a wild pitch. He issued a four-pitch walk. He issued another wild pitch. Not good on Friday night and not very good on Monday night. Nats get blanked. Game two for the Nationals against the Marlins at Nationals Park. Tuesday night at 7.05, Eric Fetty versus former Nats prospect Jesus Lazardo. Uh, so Jesus Lazardo is one of the guys who the Nats traded to the Oakland A's in July 2017 as part of the package for Sean Doolittle and Ryan Madsen. Lazardo for a while was regarded as one of the hot young pitching prospects in baseball, but man, has he struggled this season. 21 games, including 14 starts, an ERA of 672. Of course, Eric Fetty has struggled this season as well. He, in the 7-6-10 inning loss at the Atlanta Braves last Thursday night, allowed four runs in six innings. Did have seven strikeouts, did have no walks, uh, so he wasn't terrible uh, in this outing. But, you know, four runs in six innings is nothing to go crazy over. He gave up three homers and two doubles in the game. That was the problem. He gave up only five hits, but all five were extra base hits. And Eric Fetty over his last 13 starts has an ERA of 6.57. Eric Fetty over 24 starts this season has an ERA of 5.31. You would love to see Fetty end his season on a high note, but, you know, time is starting to run out here in the national season. And uh, Fetty, well, he'll get another shot facing a Marlins team that is not a very good hitting team, although uh, the Marlins can pitch, and we certainly saw that on Monday night. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 145, will feature the latest on the Washington football team as the practice week, to whatever extent there are Washington practices this week, gets going. Washington has a game, of course, on Thursday night, home to the New York Giants at 820. The week is moving at lightning speed. And actually, not just for the Washington football team. Did you see what happened with Navy football on Monday? Talk about things changing quickly. So on Monday's show, episode 143, I talked about Navy, which fell to 0-2 with a 23-3 loss to Air Force in Annapolis on Saturday. After the game, firing assistant head coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterbacks coach Ivan Jasper. Well, we on Monday got the word that Jasper has been rehired as quarterbacks coach. Head coach Ken Yamatololo in an online press conference making the announcement. What happened was that Jasper was fired by Navy Director of Athletics Chet Gladchuk, but Niamatololo then asked Gladchuk to reconsider. So it wasn't Niamatololo who fired Jasper, it was Gladchuk. And Niamatololo got Gladchuk to agree to allow Niamatololo to bring Jasper back on board now as quarterbacks coach. You wonder, in a quiet moment between Chet Gladchuk and Ivan Jasper, uh, what things must be like. Anyway, have a great rest of your Tuesday. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Oh, hell no.